welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good, af- good evening, good afternoon, good morning, good whatever time it is, wherever you live. Uh, one of the nice things about this uh, program is uh, we're available 24-7, 365 days a year, except for leap years when it's 366, or unless you have a different calendar altogether. And uh, But the uh, availability is one of the real strengths of any 12-step recovery program, and certainly it is for Sexaholics Anonymous, uh, for which I can never be sufficiently grateful. And uh, it's a real pleasure to be uh, able to be here again on the second anniversary of this uh, group. Uh, easy does it, just do it, but do and do it. Um, I think I changed the title there slightly. And... Um, and that's uh, that's very consistent with my theme, as a matter of fact. So I'm glad to be uh, have those mesh, uh, at least in my mind. And I'd like to thank Nancy uh, for arranging uh, my being here today, and uh, and Daniel for hosting, and anybody else who's uh, uh, here helping out. Um, what Whitewater refers to is uh, I'm I'm thinking about the river of life. Um, you know, from the moment we're born until the moment we die, we are traveling along the river of time. And uh, it's not unlike the river of life. Um, one poet, uh, I'm not, this isn't quite an exact quote, but one poet that I uh, have a line from says, uh, all rivers uh, eventually wind their way to the ocean and all uh, people, men and women, wind their way to uh, death and neither on purpose. Uh, it's just what happens. Uh, the rivers go to the ocean, and our lives uh, go from birth to death. And and I'm uh, 76 years old, and have had uh, two years ago I had this too, um, a very serious uh, medical problem. And so all of these issues are probably more on my mind now than they were uh, 32 years ago when I came into this fellowship, or 32 and three quarter, whatever it is, when I came into this fellowship. Um, and um, and I can never be uh, sufficiently grateful also for the amount of pain that I was experiencing on the night of uh, August 1st, 1988, when my wife was uh, falling apart in front of me and um, wanted a divorce. And, and she just had enough of me uh, hanging, uh, focusing on other women other than her. And, um, and, and my response, uh, I still have the chair in which I was sitting uh, that night, my response was I was simply speechless. Um, I thought that was a problem. It turned out, as so often is the case in this fellowship, uh, the things I thought were problems turned out to be gifts. And uh, and the fact that I was speechless allowed me to fully experience both what she was uh, saying and going through, and equally importantly, that what I was saying and going through. And and looking back on it sometime later, after I'd been around SA for a while, I realized what I was going through was I had run out of clever solutions, clever responses, dodges and, and secrets, and, and, and everything had stopped working. Um, and I was, uh, I was desperate, and that's what it takes. Um, the uh, painful uh, thought of this disease finally uh, became greater than the uh, uh, experienced pleasure, physical pleasure of acting out and, um, and all the adrenaline rushes that went with that. And, uh, and when that balance shifted, um, I was speechless. And, uh, and I, next afternoon, August 2nd, 1988, when a therapist uh, my wife and I met with said, well, you're a sex addict. Um, I knew she was not only telling the truth, I knew uh, for the first time in my adult life uh, that there actually was a solution. I didn't know what the solution was, <laughs> but I did know there was a solution. And I went to my first meeting that night. It's possible uh, Lee was there, that meeting. I forget. Um, I think so, though. 
and uh, and it's nice to have uh, Lee and Margot here also, uh, who are part of the people who paved the way for me as I, I went along. And um, and that um, awareness became came into focus uh, in that first meeting on a Tuesday night uh, when I heard people describe getting drunk on lust and getting drunk on masturbation. And as soon as I was allowed to make that connection uh, of getting drunk on my sexual arousal and sexual acting out, uh, it all made sense, uh, some internal way anyway, uh, that that's what was happening to me. And uh, looking back on it, I also realized uh, that I was the type of a person, drinker, uh, drinking lust in my case, not alcohol, um, who just never let the glass run dry. I was constantly uh, feeding uh, my lust uh, glass. And um, two days, uh, three days into sobriety, two days later, I um, had an experience that was totally innocent. I just pulled up behind a car at a, at a traffic light. But I realized I was lusting like crazy after the woman in the car ahead of me and all I could see was the back of her head. And even then it was through windows and, you know, reflections. And, and, uh, and that's really struck me uh, that how powerless and unmanageable uh, this insanity had become over the previous uh, 38 years. And, um, and I realized that um, I really needed help and, and have been coming back uh, ever since. So the uh, river of life uh, for me had carried me at that point to age 42. Uh, and I'd begun, I can trace my acting out from age four when I would uh, have experiences of uh, constant fantasizing, um, not explicitly sexual per se, but explicitly romantic and involving uh, girls. Um, and also taking my clothes off in public. It's not necessarily to be seen. Uh, it was just the thrill of doing it. And uh, looking back, oh, I look back over so many things I did and think, how crazy were you, David? And the answer is very crazy. Um, and it just got worse over time. Uh, so uh, for a long time that on the river of life, um, that was me. And my uh, acting out took the form of, as I said, fantasizing and, and exhibitionism, uh, uh, taking, uh, trying to, uh, well, experiencing sex with other boys and trying to get girls to respond to me. And then discovering masturbation and just was totally, I got drunk the first time I masturbated on lust and, and I uh, didn't stop until I came in this fellowship, uh, as I said, uh, a number, what, 32 years later. And over time, uh, the disease progressed to um, sex with animals, multiple adulterous affairs in my marriages, uh, constant fantasizing, uh, sadomasochistic acting out and uh, and various other forms. I'm sure I'm leaving something out. Uh, I did a very, I was, I'm graced with a fairly good memory and I knew I had uh, tried everything possible to stop because so many of the behaviors were humiliating or violated my values and my sense of personal sense of right and wrong, which I uh, had that all along. I just couldn't uh, act that way. So that's a little bit of my uh, story, how I got here. Um, and the, so the white water is a time in a river uh, when the, uh, possibly the um, water isn't as deep and it's rippling uh, going over uh, shallow areas. You may even be grounded up for a while if you're in a canoe or a kayak. And, uh, and also times when the water is deep and rushing and, and yet there's lots of boulders and rocks and really a, a chance of grave danger uh, to get through it. And, uh, and so white water refers to not only the color of the water during that time, those times, as it goes over uh, shallow bottoms or goes over, um, uh, goes around uh, big rocks and boulders and down canyons and whatever. Um, but it also refers to um, being carried along on the river of life and just um, being swept up by it. And that's very much... Um, by experience both before SA, but definitely in SA, and I came into SA, partly because I was sober and was actually able to experience what I was doing, what it was like, what happened and what it was like then. And um, I really um, had a sense for, uh, as I said, powerlessness and unmanageability. 
and also the necessity I had to uh, find a power greater than myself. Um, I had been raised an atheist in my family tradition. That's just what it was. And at the same time, uh, it wasn't working for me. And uh, this fellowship uh, was giving me the option of uh, really, uh, as we do in the italics, as we understood him uh, in steps three and 11, um, giving me an opportunity to develop a relationship with a higher power that I realized eventually that I'd been needing for a long, long time. My experience as sobriety also has uh, phases, some of which come fairly rapidly in the beginning. <clears throat> the first uh, phase uh, for me was, uh, could I be sober at all? Could I not masturbate? Could I not be constantly feeding myself with lust images? And as I said, never letting the glass run dry. And, uh, and the panic that um, I just, that hadn't been my life for the previous th 30 to some years. And um, could I do it? And um, I didn't know, but I did know there were people sitting there in those rooms. Uh, <clears throat> at that time, the definition of an old timer was someone with three years sobriety. Um, and I guess thinking back on it now, uh, even our people in Nashville, uh, well, one couple had three years sobriety and then two years sobriety, as I said, uh, people on this call. and. Um, the um, that was enough. That's what I needed. Just that sense of hope and some some other people uh, being present. And then usually after um, the uh, just the panic, can I be sober? Uh, there's the um, phase of depression, uh, the re beginning to realize uh, not only the reality of what I've been doing for all those years, but the consequences of that. I had lost a marriage and a relationship with a pair of kids. Uh, I had um, put my job at risk and had moved my job, uh, tried a geographic, uh, changing my employment uh, after an acting out history in a previous employment setting, and um, was just um, uh, really was, was felt very down for a while. And that lasts for a while. The depression uh, can stay around for a while, or sometimes it's fairly brief. I don't know how long mine was. Uh, probably a month or two, but somewhere in there, I did my first step and uh, began uh, really focusing on step two, three, and four, and uh, and that was carrying me along. That and that's part of the river of life for us is uh, working the steps, working the steps, going to meeting, trusting God. That's what the big book says, and um, and I try to keep all those things as I started reading our literature and became familiar with it all of those things in focus. I will say uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, where I came into this fellowship, I was uh, very grateful how uh, based, we, uh, uh, based we were, how much functionally based we were on the uh, AA materials. Uh, to me, still the most important books I read in recovery um, over the long period have been the AA Big Book and the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. And uh, also I use as Bill season uh, quite a bit and the other AA materials. And it's made, uh, one of the side effects of that has been, I'm just as comfortable, even though I'm not, I don't define myself as alcoholic, I guess I could be one of these days, but not yet. And yet I'm very comfortable in an AA meeting uh, because our format and theirs are so similar. Um, the worst problem I experience in an AA meeting is uh, not saying I'm a sexaholic, <laughs> just saying I'm an addict and let it go with that. Um, the uh, next phase is rage, um, and, and the rage phase is so unpleasant. Uh, there are many reasons I don't want to act out again. I don't want to lose my sobriety, but one of the biggest ones is uh, I don't want to have to go through that rage phase again. It was just terrible. I really did not intend to be that angry guy. I come across usually as a fairly pleasant, nice guy, sometimes a bit harsh, uh, but nonetheless, uh, hopefully in good spirits. And yet uh, there I was uh, just raging at myself, at others. And, um, and I was um, just really difficult to be around. One of my uh, ninth step amends I made to a woman who was the only person who didn't accept my amends actually. And she had moved out of the country at that time. So we did it by mail. And, uh, and she wrote back and said, she hoped she never worked for such an angry person again. And uh, I realized she had retired when I was in the angry phase, and um, 
And I was just, uh, and that's, so that was her image of me that she took with her. And I can't blame her because uh, I probably was. Um, and what's the rage directed about? Oh, I don't know. It's the rage against change. I don't want to change. It's the rage against what my sponsor said, uh, David, this is a program of ego deflation in depth. Uh, it turns out he was totally accurate about that. I've sounded, of course, many times since in the AA literature and our literature. Uh, nonetheless, um, at the time, it was a new concept. And uh, it's also a rage of the um, things that I did uh, while drunk uh, that I know knew did a lot of damage, and I just felt terrible about it. But instead of simply saying, I did a lot of damage, I'll do whatever I can to make it right, which was coming along in the steps later, uh, I just had that rage. And, and uh, I meet people in our fellowship, uh, often newcomers, sometimes people have been around for a long time who uh, have that rage. And uh, it's just sad um, because it's, it's so, at least for me, it's so ugly. And there are parts of this disease that are so ugly. Some of my fantasies are so ugly. I called my sponsor up once and shared that I had sexualized one of my children. Uh, that day or that moment or whatever, I called him pretty promptly. And uh, he said, David, don't we have such an ugly disease? And uh, I've never forgotten that either, uh, that this disease really uh, it has an ugly face to it. And when I'm honest about it, I can say, boy, I don't want that, not that. But when I'm drunk, of course, uh, who cares? You know, it doesn't seem like a big price to pay. And then the next phase um, is, for me, is... Uh, uh, building relationships again, healing relationships and building relationships in a healthy way. All of which I've been unable to do because uh, for uh, since age four, so 38 years, I had this secret life. I had these secret thoughts. I was convinced if someone really knew me, uh, they would reject me. So I just kept those parts of me secret. And um, so I always was never fully in a relationship. I would act as if I were. I had all the correct words to suggest I was, and yet I really wasn't capable of it. And that was um, part of the damage that needed to be healed, certainly to a great extent with other people, and definitely with, of course, my family, my wife, and kids, but all, and brothers and sisters. I don't have any sisters, sisters-in-law. Uh, but also uh, just uh, relationships healed uh, by being fully present, being who I actually, being who I actually am, and, uh, and treating people with respect, uh, which I was unable to do when I was hiding big chunks of myself. The, that phase, uh, in my experience, uh, goes on to this day. Uh, so I'm still uh, trying to remake and heal relationships and to be fully present in relationships uh, because I have a, a selfishness, self-centeredness that we think is the root of all our problems, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-seeking, self-delusion, and self-pity. And I identify with every word in those sentences on page 62 uh, in the AA Big Book um, because uh, that's the disease I have and, and it's uh, my mental illness is what it is. I, I have identified fully uh, many years, many decades ago now uh, with being mentally ill. And I tell people they didn't ask for it. Uh, I don't necessarily like it all the time. Uh, most of the time I'm grateful for it because I don't have to do it anymore, live in it anymore, if I take my medicine. And um, and my medicine is this program, working the steps uh, and going to meetings, as I said, and trusting God. Um, so that phase just continues to this day. Uh, so all of those are some of the early whitewater experiences, the rough times uh, that we go through. Uh, another uh, whitewater experience is as we begin to repair those relationships, uh, and in my case, uh, particularly with my wife, my wife and I have now been uh, married for 45 years, so uh, we've had some practice at this, um, to accept my wife as she truly is. and. And uh, four years into sobriety, uh, we had the worst fight we'd ever had in our marriage, uh, even worse than the one that got me into SA. And um, she got so angry that she uh, went out, packed a, car, packed a bag, went out to the car and, and drove from Tennessee to California uh, and, uh, and then ended up uh, settling uh, here in Oregon, actually, with a cousin of mine. And um, it was a 
it was a blessing, it turned out, uh, because it really uh, helped me see how important it was for me to uh, leave a town where I was much committed in many ways and um, and leave that town and and uh, get out get to another place and that's when I we moved to Oregon which is where we've been since 1995 and um, the um, excuse me um, the river of life uh, uh, the white water times uh, don't stop coming just because I'm sober in fact in a way they're even worse sometimes because I'm aware of them I know uh, that they're coming, I know that they will happen, and I know um, that uh, various tools to get through them. Uh, and I also know that uh, they're still treacherous uh, to me and to other people around me. Five minutes. How much? Five minutes. Oh my Lord, I've gone on way too long. Um, I've come to also believe that chip dates are whitewater times. Um, we often treat them as rewards, rewarding us for sobriety. And I tell people, if we could choose to be sober, we wouldn't need this program. It's a program where we need a higher power. And um, and chip dates, uh, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, six months, nine months a year, are all times when it's, we're going to have uh, white water disturbances and reminders. Um, every time I come up on my yearly anniversary, the, first, the last two weeks before it, I know I'm going to be struggling with lust. I know I'll probably have some bizarre thoughts. Um, and I've come to realize over the years, that's just what happened. Um, another whitewater time is uh, doing steps four, five, six, and seven, uh, uh, being entirely honest about how my actions have affected other people, and then also uh, being willing to uh, have God uh, change those defects of character that remain that would send me back out there um, into the insanity of my disease rather than uh, trying to walk in a reasonably uh, sane path. Um, another uh, whitewater uh, experience for me has been um, realizing the importance of simply uh, staying awake and aware uh, 24 hours at a time. Uh, I have a disease. As I said, I have a mental illness. I'm not necessarily happy about it, but it's the one I got. And, um, and I just um, need to uh, be aware that uh, I can't handle this alone because uh, my brain is broke, as uh, one of the AA speakers likes to say, and um, and I need help from others. So I sponsor. I contacted my sponsor right before this talk today, and um, and I did my uh, third step prayer before I talked because that's part of what I do, and uh, and it just helps me stay in the present and stay uh, committed to. Um, being in the, in the real relationship uh, that I have with other people or all of you at this moment. And uh, another thing that I'm just uh, really aware of in addition to staying awake is the importance of not going back into the secrets, uh, not going back into the manipulations and the trying to uh, sort of control other people's opinions of me. Uh, for a long time, I went around saying to myself, other people's opinion of me is none of my business not because they were right or wrong, they were often right. Uh, sometimes they were wrong. Uh, it's because if I made their opinion of me my business, uh, I went crazy and that was in the first minute and then it would just get worse from that point on. Uh, so that was another uh, time when I realized I don't have to put myself in the rapids in the white water. Uh, I have the uh, choice to uh, uh, sort of uh, stay in calmer waters and the easiest way to do that is to tell the truth. I tell people it's a great fallback position, or actually it's a great fall forward position too. Uh, if I've told the truth uh, as the we go down the course of the river of life, um, I don't have to worry about what I said or what impact it had. It was just the truth at the time about who I am and, and what I'm uh, doing. Uh, one of the things that's just fundamental to me is realizing that I'm never alone. Uh, that I'm always in God's hands, that I'm always in the hands of this fellowship. The only reason I might feel alone is if I've removed myself from that, if I've uh, blocked my conscious contact with God as I understand him, if I've blocked myself from conscious contact with other people by not calling, by not returning calls. I've had four calls come in just in the time we're talking. So God, uh, my experience, by the way, is that when I get lots of calls, it means God's worried about me. And, uh, and when I don't get many calls, he thinks it's going to be a smooth water day. Uh, 
So uh, I just uh, use those as reminders uh, of sort of what God's think is going on. This program uh, is never more than today. Uh, and every day there will be something unexpected that happens. And I can either choose to experience that as a problem or I can experience it as a solution. Uh, that it's just uh, giving me a chance to use the tools of this program. I'm a relationship with uh, God and my relationship with other people uh, to get through it. And that's why we have guides when we go down rivers and there's uh, rapids. Uh, that's why we uh, remind ourselves that other people have done this before and we can yearn, learn from them. Uh, today, often, often what we learn today is to go to YouTube and look at the look at the. Uh, videos on the subject, but the fact is we do best when it's one uh, sexaholic talking to another. I think those are most of my thoughts uh, on the getting through Whitewater. Um, and all of it, I just try to go through with a sense of gratitude, a sense of purpose, and, um, and a sense of willingness to do the next right thing that God puts in front of me, rather than the next uh, usually fear-based thing that David thinks he ought to do. Um, and to just remember that um, if I depend on God as I understand him, as I said, and if I recognize the limits of my own uh, physical and spiritual and mental uh, capacity, and those limits are fine. It's just my being honest about them that's the issue. And if I use uh, the guides, the people who trudge the road ahead of us, we often say in Vision for You, but the people who've uh, run the river of life ahead of me, um, and I have many examples of that, not the least of whom was my sponsor, Jess, uh, who literally died after hanging up on completing a phone call and then went, uh, on, ended his vacation, as he liked to say, uh, and, uh, and just uh, keep on going down the river one day at a time. Um, so I think I've blabbered on enough, and I'm glad to be here, and I'll uh, do whatever's next. I'll stop. Thanks. Hey, thank you, Daniel, and uh, thank you, David. Uh, my question is this, and uh, one of the things that I find to be uh, paramount in the program is uh, the sexaholic who, who's a chronic sexaholic uh, like myself. Uh, I've been doing this thing from 2003 to 2020, and I, I've been hard on sponsors. Uh, when do you say enough is enough, or are you the type is or are you the type of a guy when you're working with sponsees do as long as they keep coming, are you willing to work with them or when do you say enough is enough? That's my question. Oh, it's a terrible time for you to ask that question. Uh, my sponsor uh, about three weeks ago said, David, how many people are you sponsoring? And I said, well, I, I don't know. Art, I, my current sponsor's name is Art. I'll uh, uh, try to find out. And uh, the answer was so humiliating um, and continues to be, I might add. Uh, it's uh, somewhere in the mid-20s. And uh, I, I did have a period of time uh, when I did uh, let people go that I was sponsoring. I, I would say, uh, I just that I'm, uh, I guess I'm just not the person who has what you want. and You're not willing to go to any length to get it. And occasionally I'll still say that to people. I always tell them, though, if you want to keep calling, that's fine. Uh, but in fact, um, my sponsor, Harvey, told me that, um, David, you might as well say yes to everybody because most of them never call. And I have people who consider me their sponsor. In fact, when I made my first list, uh, there were people I left off uh, who do consider me their sponsor, but I hadn't heard from them in, in months or years. And um, so usually they prune themselves is what my experience is especially if I talk consistently about the steps, uh, working the steps. And if I talk about um, uh, character defects, um, if someone really wants this program, uh, I'm probably useful to them. And if they don't, then they're probably not useful to them. Uh, the other thing um, is um, I don't, I, I only, sh I try to share only what has worked for me. I sometimes slip. I have another occupation that we're sort of talking about other people's issues and ways to help them is what I did professionally. And that's okay. I just need to keep it out of the spiritual realm as much as I can. And I, I try to do that. Uh, 
So I also limit the amount of time. My sponsors modeled that for me. Uh, they mostly don't want me to talk more than 10 minutes. And so I do uh, do that to try to keep it in a reasonable bounds. The last thing I'll say is um, if there's something my wife or my kids uh, want from me, uh, then the, they, that has priority over talking to program people. Um, and that has been really important. Um, and I know that's tough. And I know I didn't always do it early on. And yet it's definitely where I am today. I'll, I'll stop there as there's more I could say, but I think that's enough. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, Daniel. Daniel, can you hear me? It's because I don't know how to do the thing of the hand. Okay, I'll put you on the list. Okay, thank you. Okay. Uh, thanks, Kelvin, for your question. Nancy, you're up next. Yeah, hi, Nancy Sexaholic. So glad to hear you. So good to see you. Um, I really like your emphasis on the big book, um, the original literature. I really like that. Um, I also like when you talked about being mentally whatever you call it, mentally imbalanced, um, mental illness. Um, sometimes I'll say, listen, I could be crazy as a loon, but as long as I'm honest. I mean, our book says that. Um, there's some that are, that are grave emotional mental disorders. We can recover if we can be honest. Um, I have a question. What is your current whitewater experience? And you shared lots of tips What's working the best for you right now? That, that's a great question because it uh, affects me every day in some way or another. Um, I was diagnosed uh, in May of uh, 2019, so it's a little over three years now, uh, with a cancer that is uh, for which there's no cure and there's no remission. Um, and um, the average life expectancy is 12 to 18 months. Uh, so I'm well beyond that, which I think is just fine. Um, and, uh, and yet there's some aspect of, uh, responding to that change in my physical condition, um, uh, that is, uh, my sort of present in my mind every day. Uh, I also have a, a known, uh, consequence of, uh, this, uh, cancer where my belly fills up with fluid. Um, cancer cells, uh, use fluid, uh, by definition, but, uh, when it happens in the abdomen, there's no drain. And so I just get, so right now I'm very, very, I tell people I'm pregnant because that's exactly what it looks like. Uh, and uh, it's given me great empathy for uh, pregnant women, I might add. And um, so that's always capturing my attention. And what I have to remind myself, and I do, uh, bec and because I need to, is that I'm in God's hands and uh, God will carry me through this uh, course of the, this whitewater time in the river of life. Um, some of it's uh, help from physicians and the medical community, but most of it is just accepting, okay, this is what it is today. And uh, if I accept it, uh, as it says in our literature, I'm fine. And if I fight it, um, it doesn't go well. And our literature is really, really clear that we cease fighting anything or anybody we have to. And I, uh, so not, and by the way, in an actual river going down through actual rapids, uh, not fighting and going with the water, uh, sometimes using a lot of strength to do it, that's for sure, and often following a guide, uh, nonetheless. So that's what works, and that's exactly what I'm doing. Uh, and the last thing I'll say on that, it's a great question, I just could go on too long, um, is um, the um, the tools of this program have been more important to me in dealing with this uh, cancer uh, than any um, any other time I think in in my relationships I've used the tools all along but boy I have to stay focused on them and um, the most common one is step 11 of course and also step 12 uh, passing on what I've been given uh, and the longest I just have to make sure I stay on that path. And then when I inevitably drift off, just get back on it right away, get back on the river. Thanks. Thank you for continuing to share your experience. Thanks, Nancy and David. Uh, Padre, I see your hand is up. Yes, thank you. Um, thanks, uh, David. David, isn't it? I got through a blank there. Thanks for your message. Uh, my question was for you, so you got you got to know your wife 
uh, for the way she is. How do I get to accept uh, people as they are as opposed to being them being sexual objects? You know, like um, I'm in the workplace now. I come across a lot of women. I come across, interact and I come across a lot of women and they can be triggers. How do I get to know them? On, the, on How do I get to know them as opposed to see them as sexual objects? You know, and uh, how do I work with people? You know, did you work with people in the beginning that may have triggered you? Oh, of That's course. It. Thanks. It's yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm laughing uh, because uh, I I I never did leave my career, which is a little unusual, actually. I have to say, and um, and my career involved interacting with uh, women and men uh, of all ages uh, uh, constantly, and um, and it was uh, definitely a challenge. I found the. Uh, the things that Roy has in overcoming lust and temptation in the white book were extremely important for me. And I would go through um, one uh, par- one section, one paragraph sometime of a section, one of the sections at a time. And probably uh, the thing that um, made the most difference early on uh, was I would go, and I went around saying this to myself sometimes out loud too, uh, God, I surrender my right uh, to look at that woman. I surrender my right to fantasize about her, or occasionally men. For uh, quite a few years in the fellowship, I took up uh, doing needlework doing, during meetings, uh, because even though they were mostly men, frequently all men, I found myself always scanning crotches, and uh, I didn't want to do that. Uh, so if I was doing the needlework, I had to pay attention to my stitches, and uh, and I didn't scan. And... and um, I'm very grateful those are all uh, covers on our dining room chairs now. And every time I sit on them, uh, I'm reminded <laughs> how they got there. Um, so um, it's, you know, lust is not the problem. Uh, I was given a great gift early on, too, about this. Um, and that was, um, I, we had a couples group, SAS and on couples group. And uh, that particular night was a hot night. Uh, we were about half women in the group for various reasons. And um, and yet I was only having trouble with one woman. Everybody had the same amount of skin exposed, but only one woman was um, um, getting my attention. And it's because I knew for various reasons, the other women were not interested in men or were, had a great sobriety or whatever, it doesn't matter. But what did matter was I realized this disease exists entirely between my ears. It has nothing to do with what a woman's wearing or not wearing, what a man's wearing or not wearing, how they're behaving, how they're interacting. It has everything to do with my reaction to it. And that's a wonderful piece of good news because I can do something about me. I can't do anything about them. Uh, They're just doing the best they can do. My sponsor, Jess, said, David, uh, many of these women are learning, learned how to dress to appeal to men when they were five years old. By the time you see them, they're really, really good at it. And I hear Jess's voice in my head. And uh, my background uh, in a sports event is swimming and diving. And um, and I just uh, kind of rate people on how they're doing. So, oh, you're a two, you're a 10, you're a 12 <laughs> on a 10 point scale. Um, and um, and it's it just makes fun of some my inevitable weakness, uh, which is I'm just vulnerable to that stuff. So what? I can do something about that. I have a program that'll get me through it. There's more to say, but I think that's enough. Thanks, David. Thanks, Patrick, for the the question. Uh, Hans D., you had your hand up, but it's down now. Did you still have a question? Oh, thanks for noticing. No, he asked, David answered it right away. I was going to ask him about sponsorship. So thank you, David. Thanks, Hans. Uh, if you have fewer than 30 days of sobriety, feel free to raise your virtual hand and get in line. So next we have Maria. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, David. Thank you very much. I was laughing of myself because I didn't know that I was a sex addict until I discovered that my husband was a sex addict. And that was four years ago. I know that I was an alcoholic and I have been in the fellowship since 1999, but I didn't have idea that I was sex addict. I just think that I was uh, an alcoholic. And, but 
just working the steps, working with the big book, I realized that um, when I was two, three years old uh, in my house, they, at my at home, there was incest. So I was abused by my father, but other people, you know. And what I learned is that sex was the most important sex sign of love. This is what I learned. And then I learned to sexualize myself when I was maybe 17, 18, went to a lot of surgeries and whatever, you know. And also I realized that I had a lot of masochist fantasies. I knew that I was sick, but working the steps in AA helped. Sorry, it helped. So just my question is that, do you think really that the four, three years old is responsible for... um, for the the addiction? Oh, not at all. Um, I, um, you know, I do think there's a familial component to this uh, in my life too. Um, I, I, I suspect from things that happened uh, when my father died. My father died at age 58. And uh, that was uh, about 12 years before I came in, 11 years, I guess before I came into SA, uh, my disease was in full bloom at that time. And yet there were some things that that I heard uh, that suggested to me that maybe uh, inadvertently I uh, um, was not falling that far from the tree. Um, And uh, and there were some things that happened in my household that definitely affected me. Uh, One of them uh, happened unexpectedly at my daughter's graduation in 1991. uh, and um, I, um, from graduation from college, and <laughs> something happened, and I called Harvey up, my sponsor, and I said, Harvey, I know what happened with this, why I'm so vulnerable to women and women's bodies. And, uh, and he just laughed and, and listened to me, because it doesn't make any difference how I got into this uh, disease or how this mental illness of mine developed. Uh, what matters today is what I do in response to it, and do I choose to focus on the solution, or do I get mired in obsession or mired in the problem or both? They're not mutually exclusive. And the other thing is, along the way, I became equally addicted to adrenaline rushes. And in some ways, uh, that's uh, often the part of my disease that causes the most damage to other people and um, and to me. And um, so I have to be a conscious of working this spiritual program, not only on my lust addiction, which I certainly have, uh, also on my adrenaline addiction and my uh, self-arousal. And my actual uh, compulsion, I think, is uh, is to sexually arouse myself. Uh, you know, acting on it isn't necessarily all as big a deal uh, per se as the arousal. And, and uh, so I just have to stay conscious of that and use the tools I have uh, for that purpose. So I don't worry too much about the past and, and things that happened. Uh, was I distorted by age four? Yes. Why? I don't know. I have no idea. And truthfully, I don't really care. Uh, what I care is that I remember that that happened and uh, and I have an opportunity today not to live that way today. And so I just hold on to that. And again, that's the subject I could go on about longer. I think I'll stop. Though. Thanks. And good question. Thanks, David. Maria. Next up, we have Lee. Hey, Lee. Hey, hey, David. It's great to see you. It really is. Uh, I get uh, secondhand uh, uh, quotes from you from Judson, but uh, uh, I haven't seen you personally in a long time. Um, I love the river uh, uh, analogy and image. I use that a lot myself in my own experience. I love the whitewater thing. Uh, as an atheist, how did your journey bring a higher power into that white water with you? And uh, what uh, what did that look like for you? Uh, I've had to make a similar journey myself, but I'd like to hear where you are with that. Thank you. Uh, there's a, uh, a writer, Chicago-based writer, who wrote... Uh, that he was a humanist who believed in God. And I encountered that quotation um, some years before I came into SA. 
and I was very staunchly a humanist, and my atheism was based in that. A humanist, by the way, is someone who thinks that we don't need a transcendent power. Uh, we can just uh, figure this out inside our own human capacities. And uh, But I always had that mystical side to me. And I'd had that. That went along with the fantasizing, truthfully. Uh, at the same time, it was qualitatively different from the fantasizing. Because one, the fantasies, the sexual fantasies were isolating myself from real people and real relationships. And the mysticism was kind of uh, connecting me with them. And, um, and I, I always knew it was there. It just puzzled me. So what happened in sobriety, and especially with step two, uh, I, I realized that um, the, rela the relationship I had with a higher power just wasn't working. And this was very difficult. I don't want to minimize it. Um, I basically had to let go of the uh, God, the religious, the beliefs of my father and mother. And that was uh, very, very difficult for me. But um, uh, I did do it. And somewhere in my third year, uh, I realized that uh, turning my will and my life over to God as I understood him was just fine. And I haven't uh, looked back. Well, I've looked back. But I haven't uh, changed on that since. But one thing that happened around 100 days sobriety, I realized that uh, whatever my religious beliefs it were at the time, any higher power I could understand would connect with me through other people. That was going to be the, uh, the vehicle uh, for any connection. So I came to look for that in every, uh, connect, every interaction I had with other people. And that's happening to this very second uh, Every interaction I have is just um, God, as I understand God now, um, reaching out to me. And, and that realization really opened up a doorway that had basically been closed to me before then. Uh, or at least uh, I had trouble opening it. I guess it wasn't entirely closed. Uh, and, um, and once I walked through it, as I said, it's, I, don't, I don't have to know what God is or isn't. What I have to know is that I turn my will and my life over to God. And when I do that, things go better. So. That's a, one answer. There's a lot of things, again, I could say more. Well, thanks, David. I, the interesting thing is, is that the three-year mark was about where it happened for me, too. So uh, it's an interesting parallel. But thanks a lot. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks. Thanks, Lee. We have two more folks uh, on the in the queue here, and we just have a few more minutes. So maybe if we can get uh, go through them quickly, and we'll start with Joseph. Uh, hey, I'm Joseph. I'm sexuality. I have a question. Um, um, after a long, uh, the, a long time of sobriety, I forget always, uh, always um, that I'm sexuality, and I forget um, the consequences of my sexual addiction on myself. Uh, how can I solve this problem? Thank you. That's a great question, uh, and it's actually part of the whitewater image for me. I just didn't talk about it. Um, first of all, uh, the immediate answer to your question is on pages uh, 24 and 25 of the AA Big Book. It's other places, too, but it's right there in italics, uh, so you don't have to work so hard. And I know, by the way, people who read this on electronic books, that's different pagination, uh, but um, but it's that's where it is. It's in more about alcoholism. Um, and then, um, secondly... Um, I, uh, we, we all have this part of our brain that says the way it is today is the way it's always going to be. So when I'm in a calm time in my uh, whitewater journey, my river down, down the river of life, uh, I think it's always going to be that way, which is a lie. Uh, so my sponsor said, David, it'll either change or you'll be dead. Uh, and he had a way with words. And so I just have to remember uh, to to watch myself if I'm telling myself the way it is today is the way it's always going to be. Uh, it's just not true. And even more importantly than to watch out for the enemy uh, in my mind. And the enemy always takes the same form. And that is the four words that are the most dangerous words that come into our minds. And that is the words, I can handle it. Um, and sometimes it's cleverly disguised. I know that. Uh, nonetheless, uh, if I'm telling myself I can handle it, uh, the one thing I, I know, two things for sure. One, it's not true. And two, I only have those thoughts. I can handle it when it's not true. Um, if I can actually handle it, I just do it. Um, 
if I can't handle it, then I try to persuade myself I can handle it. And that's always a lie. There's more to say, but those are the things that I've experienced that um, watching out for thinking things are always going to be this way. And, and, and then it's just today. I'm just where I am today. I'm not in tomorrow and I can't recreate yesterday. Thanks. Thanks, David. Thanks for the question, Joseph. And uh, to wrap it up, we have Tamana. Hi. Uh, thank you, Daniel. Hi, David. I'm Tamanna, very brand new to this uh, program. I'm just uh, 20 days old in this program and uh, 13 days sober today. My question would sound a little silly, but I really want this answer. Uh, I want to know, does uh, emotional dependency on people uh, could turn somebody into a lustaholic or a sexaholic? Because I'm a lustaholic. And uh, in my marriage, the deprivation of sex uh, maybe had turned me into a lustaholic. I wanted to know this uh, in brief, if you can just explain. Thank you so much. Well, um, anything that triggers resentment uh, will, will trigger our disease. And, um, and resentment is expecting the world to be different than the way it is, in my experience. It doesn't mean it's easy. Uh, acceptance is the answer to all my problems today is true in my experience. Nothing's in there that says it's easy, however. And I have to uh, sometimes just remind myself, well, first of all, I remind myself, everybody's always doing the best they can do, uh, including me. It's just sometimes the best I can do is terrible and illegal and harmful and all those awful things. And sometimes the best I can do is wonderful and great. And most of the time it's just, uh -huh, get through another day. Um, but I just, I have to re forcibly remind myself of that frequently. The other thing is um, that um, in terms of sort of really getting a different attitude, um, the thing that has worked the best for me personally and in terms of a single thing other than going to meetings and, and listening to people, talking to my sponsor, uh, is reading the 12 steps and 12 traditions, uh, never more than two physical pages at a time. Uh, if we go beyond two pages, I tell people, it's just a waste of your time because we're not going to identify. And identification is the secret of this entire fellowship, this spiritual fellowship. And, uh, and when I go through that, I'm doing it right now with somebody. Uh, we're going through basically a paragraph at a time. Sometimes we hit three paragraphs. It's been a big day. And, um, and it just, uh, it's magical that people do it. I say this to a lot of people. Most don't do it. The ones who do it, it's always successful. And with that, I'll stop. I think we're done. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.